This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast, episode number 65. Today is Friday, October 26, 2018. I am Patrick Moran. Coming up on today's show, I'll be interviewing one of the young rising stars in the Buffalo sports media scene. I'll be joined by the beautiful, talented, very nice, and quite possibly only Pittsburgh Pirates fan that I personally know in the business, Heather Prusak from WGRZ TV Channel 2 in Buffalo is my guest on the Moranalytics podcast today. We'll be talking about Heather being born and raised in the town of Hamburg and how she initially became a Pirates fan to begin with. We talk about her decision to go to Syracuse for college, something it seems that a lot of sports media people do, especially those from Buffalo. We talk about her path from the student TV station at Syracuse to the small screen in Buffalo. I get her takes on several sports media topics. I ask her, what it is about Buffalo that endears her so much to it, why she loves it so much. And of course, I put her through the ringer at the end with my mini lightning round. Looking forward to bringing this to you. Heather's a really, really great person, very talented. I think she's going to make a big name for herself in the Buffalo sports media for years to come. Anyway, right after that, my buddy Joe from New York City joins for another installment of the Running With Joe. Joe and I are all over what was a historic WWE Monday Night Raw this past week, both in the sports entertainment world and also in the real world. We discussed Roman Reigns announcing that he has leukemia, as well as that shocking heel turn by Dean Ambrose, before we try to remember some of the best heel turns ever. We also discussed Chad Kelly's latest disaster, which sadly isn't really a shock to most who've been following him for long enough now. Just sad, man. Just sad. And we had on potentially a strained relationship between Buffalo Bills head coach Sean McDermott and general manager Brandon Bean. That was kind of brought to light first by Tim Graham a couple weeks ago and most recently by Adam Benini. Really interesting stuff. All that plus Joe's finisher on blue collar football and more. It's a packed show. And I don't got much to say, except, you know, I'm pretty physically nauseous right now that the Boston Red Sox already are up 2-0 on the Dodgers in the World Series. Just makes me sick. Eh, I don't want to talk about anything else. So let's just get right down to business. Here's my interview with Heather Prusak from Channel 2 in Buffalo. 
followed immediately by the running with Joe. Okay, my guest today is a sports reporter and producer at WGRZ TV Channel 2 in Buffalo. One of the real risers in the Buffalo sports media scene over the past few years. I'm talking about Heather Prusak. What's up, Heather? How you doing? Hey, good. How are you? Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you on. I kind of want to keep the same format that I do with all my sports media guests. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning and work our way up (laughs) currently, if that's cool with you. This is an opportunity for fans who only get to see your work on TV to get to know you a little bit, a little bit more personally, if that's cool with you. Yeah, absolutely. Fire away. Okay. Now you're from Hamburg. Did you spend your entire childhood growing up in Hamburg? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I, all the way from kindergarten through 12th grade, I was throughout the Hamburg school district and um, I was at Boston Valley Elementary School in North Boston from kindergarten to second. And then third grade through fifth grade, I was at Charlotte Avenue Elementary School and then Hamburg Middle and Hamburg High School. So yeah, proud, proud bulldog through and through. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. Now, who were you a fan of when it comes to sports as a kid? Who did you grow up watching? Who were you a big fan of? Sure. So, um, I mean, my favorite sport from when I was little, I kind of inherited the, the baseball love. My dad was a huge Pittsburgh Pirates fan. We actually, our good family friend was the voice of the Pirates for like 30 something years. Lanny for Terry, if anybody knows of him, um, my parents were friends with him and they randomly met him outside of uh, the ticket office. They were at a game and they somehow just like kept in contact, became friends. And, you know, my mom was literally pregnant with me at a game once. So I've been a Pirates fan from literally from day one. So it's pretty cool to um, to have those memories growing up. I was at the second last game at Three River Stadium ever. It was just it was awesome. And when my grandpa was sick, we were uh, he was at a uh, hospital in Pittsburgh. So my dad would like take me to the games to kind of keep me distracted and things like that. So that goes back a while. Sure. First Pittsburgh Pirate fan I've had on this podcast. That's really cool, man. No. Well, yeah, I mean, the first 20 years of my life, I hadn't seen a winning winning season. So I, I understand why I might be the first. <laughs> We're going to talk about your college education in a minute. But let me ask you this. Do you remember when you first decided that being in sports broadcast journalism was something that you may want to do with your life? Was it as a young kid, a teenager, a college student? When do you first remember getting that bug that... This is maybe something I want to do. So I think it was probably like late middle school, early high school. And you know how they would always have at school, either like job fairs or, you know, people come in and talk about their careers. And that was when, you know, we had to talk to our counselors a lot about, you know, college decisions and all that stuff coming up. And, you know, people would ask, what do you want to do with your life and things like that. And for a while, you know, I mean, you get the typical responses like, oh, I want to be, you know, I wanted to be a veterinarian for a while or, you know, a zoologist, something with animals because I love animals. But then I thought about all of like the hard times that come along with it and I couldn't deal with that. So that was out, that was out um, quickly. But then I kind of sat down and thought about it and I'm like, well, I mean, I love sports. I play sports. I watch sports. Why not try to, you know, take a hobby and something I really enjoy and try to make that a career. And I was like, yeah, let's, let's give this a shot. Let's see how this works. And then it kind of, you know, took off from there, really. Now you went to Syracuse for college. It's very common 
for sports media people, especially around the Western <laughs> New York area. Most sure. of you people go to Syracuse. Anyway, I ask all my sports media guests this same exact question. Why did you choose Syracuse? And what were a few of the other schools that you may have considered going to, if there were any others that you considered? Yeah, so I think the main, well, there were a couple of reasons. One, I mean, obviously it's reputation. You know, it has such a high reputation for journalism and especially all of the alums that have come out of there um, in the sports industry. But I think just, and this might sound really corny, but when I visited with my dad, it was kind of just, it just clicked. Like, I just knew. I'm like, this is where I meant to be. I had such that, like, aha kind of moment. Right. And, and again, I know it sounds corny, but it just, it hit me, you know, like a bolt of lightning. I was like, I just love this place. I can see myself here, um, you know, and, and the proximity to home being only two and a half hours where I can get that college experience, you know, go away. But also if, if I wanted to come home to see my family, my friends, if I, God forbid, I needed to get home, it wasn't like it was a five hour plane ride away. So all of that and, and, you know, the athletic programs too, wanting to go into sports, being able to cover a major college basketball team, you know, a, a division one football team, things like that. So I think all of those factors really just gave me that. Yeah, this is where, this is where I'm supposed to be. Now, while you're at Syracuse, you started working at Citrus TV, which I believe that's like the Syracuse version of sports center, right? Yeah. I mean, it, um, so Citrus TV, it's, it's a, a student run television studio. It's we're completely student run. We have a faculty advisor who, you know, if we ever needed him, he was there, but I mean, we, we are completely, or we were completely student run and it was just such a great experience because I really felt like I had a full-time job, you know, right, right away. I mean, on top of my schoolwork, you know, we got that experience of what it would be like to work in the industry. You know, we were treated like the local media, the national media, we got credentialed, we were on press row, we shot the games, we reported, um, you know, the digital aspect of everything. So it was just awesome to get a front row seat for that and to get that experience before we even got into the real world. I was going to say, how important is it to get that type of experience at such a young age? I mean, you're in college and you're, like you said, you're being treated like you're the Buffalo news at that point. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's huge because I knew what was expected of me as soon as I got a job. I mean, you know, new house was great and everything, but to have that experience of, of citrus, it was just, it took it to the next level where, you know, you're traveling to the game. I mean, even just little things like, okay, when you get to a campus, like how do you get into the media entrance? Where's press row? Where's the media workroom? Um, you know, where do you set up your tripod? Just like little things like that, that you have to deal with when you go on the road or covering the bills, the sabers or whatever, you know, how I am now, um, dealing with PR people, um, applying for credentials, interviewing players, just knowing what's expected of you and what you're going to have to do right when you get into the real world to, to already know that was so, so beneficial. I, it's not like I'm learning on the fly my first job out of college. Sure. I'm going to get to WGRZ in a, in a minute here. Now, in the spring of 2012, you got a job. You got an internship with the Buffalo Bisons as a video intern. What was that experience like for you? Oh, my gosh. I loved that was one of my favorite summers. It was so much fun. And the guys there were awesome with me. So, yeah, I, I started off as a video intern and, you know, creating montages and different videos for the Jumbotron. 
highlight packages, things like that. You know, we got to run graphics. We got to do all cool things with the, you know, the game day atmosphere, running cameras, you know, really learning uh, everything that goes into a broadcast. But then on top of that, I became really close with Ben Wagner, who's now um, the radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays, but he was with the Bisons back then. And he really took me under his wing. And I told him right from the get-go, I'm like, hey, these are my goals. I want to, you know, do this for a living. I want to go into TV, but I also want to take this internship to another level and possibly get some TV things for my reel, um, you know, get that experience. I don't want to just necessarily be production and behind the scenes. And he was great with me. He, he let me do a bunch of, you know, practice things, um, practice on camera reports, different things like that. And then him and, and my, um, my internship manager, Matt Lasota, they let me do like on camera reports, interviews for the game day broadcast stuff that would air throughout the ballpark. I got to do the in-game manager interview with Wally Backman at the time um, when they were affiliated with the Mets. It was just so cool to to get that experience. And they really let me take that to another level. I'm you know, so grateful for them. That was just so beneficial to get that experience too. And they, you know, they didn't have to do that. They they took a chance on me. Ben even let me host the the radio pregame show with him a couple times. And, you know, I'm a I think a you know, nineteen year old kid at that point, twenty year old kid, and they're letting me do this stuff. So it was it was really, really cool. I, I loved, loved that internship. Now, the game really changed for you in July of 2014. The opportunity to work at WGRZ TV came. How did that opportunity come about? And what was the process with that? So something I tell a lot of people when they want to go into this field is never underestimate, underestimate the power of networking. And it's so true because a lot of it is about talent, but a lot of it is also who you know and who you keep in contact with. And that's that was a huge key to getting my job now. I actually, the summer after I interned with the Bisons, so we're going at summer of 2013 now. I was a senior at Syracuse, going into my senior year at Syracuse. And I wanted to stay home, so I interned at Channel 2. And I worked in the sports department. You know, that was a great experience. But I, I still kept in contact with Adam Benini, the sports director, Stu, one of our Stu Boyer, one of our other sports guys. Um, the news director at the time was Jeff Woodard. And I really kept in contact with those guys, even just throughout my senior year at Syracuse, you know, just even if it was just something, hey, how's it going? Or, oh, these are, this is a sample of my work over the past few months. Can you kind of critique it? Give me some feedback. Um, so keeping in touch with them was huge so that when the opportunity came up in two months after I graduated, there was a part-time high school sports producer position that was that's what it was uh, listed as when that came up all I really had to do was call I called my news director really just looking for more information on it the next thing I know I'm in his office with the assistant news director who's now the news director Athen Campos and we're talking about the position and everything and then you know I'm talking to Woody was what we called him at the time the news director and he is you know, talking to me, like if I want the job and all this stuff and I go, wait, 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 are you offering it to me? He goes, Oh yeah. I thought, I thought you knew, I thought you knew that. And, you know, so it's just, it's, it's crazy that, you know, networking and keeping in contact and having people know what your skill set is right off the bat was just so beneficial. And that, you know, really, really opened the door to allow me to step right in there and, uh, and take that job. 
talking to Heather Prusak, sports reporter at Channel 2 in Buffalo. Heather, there's probably a lot of cool things, but what do you consider the coolest part of your job? You know, this might sound kind of vague, but um, really just like the game day atmosphere and the game day experience, I think is my favorite part of the job because, you know, anchoring is cool. And when you're, you know, you're on TV and, you know, you're in the, the, the big chair and whatever and studio, I mean, that's great. But I mean, everybody watches the game. Like that's why people, sports fans, like that's what you look forward to. You look forward to game day. You look forward to, you know, tuning in on Sundays or, you know, whatever day of the week, whatever sport it is. I think that's my favorite part. I mean, I always look forward to going to the games, covering the games, interviewing players after, um, you know, actually this uh, past weekend, I was able to sideline report the UB Toledo football game um, because we had it on channel two. And that was a blast. Like, I just love that, that game day atmosphere, just being right in the thick of it. That's got to be hands down the best part. If there is one, and maybe there isn't one yet because you're still relatively new to the game, but what do you think has been the hardest moment of your career? If there has been one yet. Um, I think the hardest part is just, it's. Hmm. Maybe not one specific thing, yeah, but maybe, yeah, the hardest, yeah. maybe the hardest part of, of, of being a sportscaster like you are. A sports sure, sure. I think it's just, um, you know, you want to be a serious journalist and you want to develop those sources and you want to break stories or be able to confirm reports when they come out, things like that. I think it's just when you're trying to break into a new career or, you know, when you're around a team, it's just trying to form those relationships with the correct people that are going to give you that information and, and, you know, people that you can turn to when a story happens. So I think just, you know, it's, it's something that from talking to people who have been in the business for a while now, you know, it's something that takes time and it's definitely the most difficult thing to to get that information and get that inside those inside sources. Um, I'd say by far, that's probably the, uh, the most challenging thing that I'm, I'm kind of coming across now. What have you been able to learn from channel two vets like Anna Beniti and my guy, Stu Boyer, one of the nicest people on earth, by the way, among others, what have you been able to learn from them so far? Yeah, they're great. Um, I just think it's, you know, kind of just some overarching things, just how to be a professional and how to conduct yourself in, you know, when you're in those settings with other media members or players or coaches or around the team, PR people, you know, they're, they're pros and they're vets and they've done this for, you know, years and years and years. And, you know, besides even just how to handle yourself with, um, with those kind of things, even just my on-air performance too. I mean, I can go to them and they can give me advice and, you know, Adam's one of the, one of the best people for live shots and just going off the cusp and the way that he's able to just, you know, kind of rattle, rattle things off and not have a script. And he will be at games and he literally just has like bullet points and he's able to just string everything. And it just sounds so smooth and things like that. So, you know, and him and I were talking a lot before I was, you know, about sideline report and, you know, just that advice on how to, how to make, you know, your performance better. And, you know, those tips are, are so, so valuable when it's a business where you're constantly trying to get better. Sure. Now, I've been fortunate enough to have some really talented female sports media people on this podcast, national people like Mary Kay from Cleveland and Jenny Regis from Sports Illustrated. I just had Jenna Harner on from Channel 4 recently. I asked them this, and I'm going to ask you as well. You've become one of the top sports reporters in this region over the past few years, man or woman, doesn't matter. I'm confident, generally speaking, that you get treated fairly. 
but I'm sure you've probably had your difficulties as well. You know, working in a, a sports industry that traditionally has mostly been dominated by males. Does it ever feel to you like women maybe unfairly have had more to prove than men when it comes to sports casting and sports journalism, especially when it comes to the higher end, more high profile jobs, like the on-air jobs and stuff like that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think there's, you know, we've had our, our share of challenges. I will say, I think it is getting better. You know, I I have a lot of optimism about that. I think that as more women break into this industry, it's becoming, it's becoming, you know, less of a minority that, oh, you know, there's a woman on the broadcast or whatever. So that is definitely a positive, but yeah, I mean, there are still our challenges. Um, you know, even just, I feel like I, sometimes I feel like I need to overcompensate when I'm doing a report or, you know, something on air, um, whether that's, I feel like I need to add more stats or more, you know, more of an explanation to why I'm making this point. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes I think, oh, well, I need to overcompensate, almost oversell myself because I need to make sure that people know what I'm talking about. And that, you know, maybe that's not always true, but unfortunately, sometimes it just comes with the territory that there are still some people out there that have that kind of old school mentality. And and so, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's tough, but like I said, I, I definitely have optimism and, you know, positivity about the direction that it's going for us. Do you feel like you have a pretty good relationship with a lot of your peers in the local sports media? I know the scene very well. I mean, the scene could be a very friendly place, but it could also be pretty cutthroat at times as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think for the most part, you know, we all get along. There's obviously times where things are a little more heated or a little more stressful and, you know, little outbursts can happen here and there. But I think for the most part, it's, you know, pretty, everyone's fairly, uh, you know, good to each other. You travel a fair amount now. Do you enjoy traveling to do work or are you one of those that prefer to stay home and, and do all your work in the city that you live in? What's your No, I, I love, I love traveling. I think it's great. You know, it's, it's crazy. I was actually thinking the other day, just, just from the start of, of 2018, all of the places that I've been at, because the start of the year was crazy. Uh, you know, going to Jacksonville for the playoff game and then New York for the winter classic. Then a couple months later, I'm in Boise, Idaho for the NCAA tournament. And mm-hmm. then, you know, he, here, there and everywhere for football. I think it's great. I love it. I love exploring new cities. I think it's, you know, it's a cool way to see a new place that maybe you otherwise wouldn't have gone to. I mean, when, when the heck would I go to Boise, Idaho? You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> like, like, why would I, why would I go there? Oh, okay. Well, UB men's basketball playing there. Okay, cool. It's just an opportunity. Like now I can say I, I saw it, I got to explore it a little bit and it's beautiful. I mean, the mountains and it's awesome. So it's just really, I love it. I think it's great. Now, over the last couple of years, you've covered high school sports, you've covered college sports and you've covered professional sports. I'm sure that you're happy just to be covering any sports, but when you have the choice, when you have the opportunity, is there one that you prefer to cover more than the other, whether it's high school, college, professional um, I mean, I love covering the NFL. I, I, I do. And I think that it's, you know, it covering the NFL definitely helps your success as well, because the NFL just drives so many, you know, so much of the sports industry. That's what people tune into. That's what there are so many fans of, you know, I, I, 
I think it's great. I like covering the NFL. I'm not going to lie. I wish I could cover, um, you know, an MLB team. I think that'd yeah. be awesome just because of how much I love baseball. Um, but, you know, as of right now, what I'm covering, I mean, I, I love covering the NFL. So I think you do a very good job on Twitter. Social media is so important nowadays, more than ever, especially for sports media people. I'm telling yeah. you, I'm not telling you something you don't already know. You know that <laughs> you got to promote your work, get it out there. I think you're good at interacting with fans. I, you know, I think you're good at being entertaining without letting the trolls and there's plenty of them out there. You know, <laughs> oh, like just, anyone know. in the sports media, you, you get them. They don't get the better of you. How do you feel about social media, particularly, you know, a place like Twitter? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a great thing. And then it can be a bad thing. Sure. Um, you know, it's, Obviously, I don't like the fact that it can be a direct avenue for people to be a troll, as you mentioned. Um, you know, that stinks. But at the same time, it is cool to interact with people. And, you know, when people when people can be, you know, civil about things, even if you're having a disagreement, it's cool to kind of like get other people's feedback. Um, you know, the fact that you can put polls out there now, you can share that with your viewers, things like that, um, or even just information that maybe we didn't know of. Like, I've gotten stories, features before from social media where people can message me on Facebook or Twitter message me or whatever and be like, hey, you know, we've got this volleyball player from, you know, whatever high school and she's doing this or this soccer player mm -hmm. from whatever, you know, that stuff's all great. So it can be a positive and it can be a negative. I think it's just kind of how you you handle it. Um, obviously, with the trolls, it's, it's tough. I'm not going to lie, like I'm human. So when I see that stuff, it definitely kind of it can get me down. But over the years, like it used to really bother me when I'd get something negative or mean sure. or whatever. But I think over the years, I've kind of just learned to like brush it off and, and just move on, which is really difficult, but it, I've learned to get better at it and I'm still learning. Yeah. Now you mentioned networking, which is obviously very important. If you had one more piece of advice to offer some teenager out there who might be listening to this podcast that may want to grow up and become a sports reporter like you've become, what advice would you give them? I would just say, don't say no to opportunities. And I know that sounds vague, but I mean, any, any little thing that you can do to market yourself, start building a brand. I mean, the sooner, the better, you know, when I, I we mentioned my Bison's internship, I mean, that was something that I could have just easily, you know, come in day in, day out, come in when I'm supposed to leave right after the game, whatever. But I mean, I spent even road games, like we weren't expected to be there when they were on the road, but I was there. I mean, it probably like five times a week, either working on projects or, you know, putting together different things. So, you know, just make them, you know, take what you're given, but like take it a step further if possible, things like that. Just don't, don't say no to opportunities and just, I don't know, I guess probably push the limit and see what else you can get out of what you're already given. Let's talk about this great region of which both of us are from. Now, you've lived in Western New York essentially all your life. What is it about Western New York and Buffalo that really appeals to you? You know, I just think that people from Western New York, people from Buffalo are so proud to be from Western New York and Buffalo. And when you've grown up there and you and someone like me who has lived here my whole life, it's just it's just a part of you. I mean, it, with how passionate especially the sports fans are and, you know, it's cool when uh, if like sometimes I'm at the grocery store, it doesn't happen very often, but when it does and someone, you know, wants to say hi or, or just introduce themselves and, um, you know, it just, it means the world and it shows that how connected 
this, it's not, we're not, it's not just a city. It's a community, really. It's just like a nice community feeling. I'll tell you, Heather, I, I lived in Buffalo my entire life and I moved to Florida about two years ago. I couldn't agree more. And I think sometimes it's not until you leave when you realize how much you miss certain things. Like you mentioned community. I mean, man, listen, Florida's beautiful. It is. The scenery's <laughs> great. The, the weather in the winter is amazing. Stuff like that. But everyone's for themselves down here. You know, it's like everyone's yeah. using themselves. Place like Buffalo, you don't see a lot of communities like that where it's like good or bad, you're all in it together. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, our well, sports teams, it kind of symbolizes that as well. Well, and you even look at, I mean, you know, even just from, um, you know, even from non-sports things, like, you know, one of the, uh, one of the officers, Craig Lehner, when he passed away last yeah. year, the way that the community read, like everywhere. I mean, even, you know, I live in Hamburg and you saw blue lights for him yeah. everywhere, like everywhere you went, it's just, it amazes me how an event like that, you know, well, maybe in other places, it would kind of just like be to that isolated area that it happened in. And then it's like a trickle down effect here where, you know, you're seeing it in every single, every single area of the region, you know, pitching in and coming together. It's just, I just think that's, it's rare. I agree a hundred percent. All right. I'm going to give a business a little bit of free publicity here. Where's a spot that Heather Prusak likes to go out and get some chicken wings, maybe a beer or whatever. Where you like going out? Oh man, you said wings. So I got a, my favorite place, my favorite wing place, Barville and East Aurora. It yeah. is, it is my, oh my gosh, it's my favorite. They, they're opening a, a second location, I think in 2019 or 2020. I can't remember, but yeah, Barville is my favorite wing place. I love it there. Thank goodness I live in Hamburg and not East Aurora because if I lived closer, <laughs> I'd probably be there a lot more than I am. Yeah. Um, but and and also too with the they have the dog park there, which you know my dog loves to play, and so like that's I love that area, Barville. I mean, yeah, just hands down. That's you know, there's obviously a lot of other places I love, but yeah, their wings. That's my favorite wing place in the area. Before I wrap up with the mini lightning round. When we chatted before this, I said I wasn't going to talk to you about any sports, but I kind of lied. I do want to talk about one thing, and that's UB football. Huge game next Tuesday, hosted Miami of Ohio. It's going to be on ESPN. A lot at stake there. I know you've been covering UB. What do you think going into next Tuesday? Huge game. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're they're riding high right now. And, you know, the past two games against um, Toledo and Akron, as I mentioned, I sideline reported that game against Toledo. Mm -hmm. I just think that, you know, they are the complete package. And a lot of people, when you talk about UB, a lot of people look at their offense and how explosive they can be with Tyree Jackson. And they've got, he's got so many weapons around him. But then you also have to look at the defense because, I mean, it held Toledo to 17 points. This was a team that was averaging 43 coming into that yeah. game. Not only held them to 17 points, but then held them scoreless in the second half. One of their best wide receivers, Cody Thompson, like this kid was making some noise coming into that game. Even nationally, I heard about him. So for them to do what they did, it's it's really a, a complete package. And I mean, you know, look out for whatever bowl game they get, which is great that they, you know, got the seventh win. And now there really shouldn't be any questions as to what we saw last year where, you know, they got snubbed and they had the sixth win. So not to mention, I mean, they've got NFL caliber players, you know, a couple of those guys I can see going. So it's uh, it's a really, really fun team to watch. And, you know, if you're uh, if you're a fan of UB, it's a really, really exciting time. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to next Tuesday. OK, I'm going to wrap up with the mini lightning round. 
Here's how it works, Heather. I'm just going to ask you a handful of random questions, nothing serious and no deep thought required. Whatever the first answer is that pops in your mind, that's the answer. Cool with that? Okay, sounds good. All right, your favorite all-time athlete? Roberto Clemente. God, I love that you're a Pirates fan. That is so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Favorite non-sports-related activity to do? Oh, gosh, non-sports. I mean, I love to run. I love to work out. So, I mean, sportsy, though. Uh, Let's see. Play with my dog. What kind of dog you have? Oh gosh, how much time you got? I could go off about him. Oh, he's a, he uh, he's a yellow lab. He'll be two years old on Valentine's Day, and his name is Otto um, for Otto the Orange, my Syracuse reference. So uh, I'm obsessed with him. He's all over my social media, so it's not hard to find something of Otto. <laughs> What's your favorite city to visit? Favorite city to visit? Um, let's see. Oh, easy, Denver. Who is the most entertaining fellow sports reporter that you know? Entertaining, uh, like that I work with? Sure, somebody, or just someone you know. Doesn't have to be someone that you work with. Oh, okay. So his name is Darren Haynes. He is the sports director at our sister station in D.C., WUSA. I worked with him when I was covering, I was helping cover the Stanley Cup, and I follow him on Twitter, he used to work at ESPN. He is so entertaining. Everything he does is like funny, but it's informative and it has commentary. He's awesome. So if you haven't heard of him, check him out. He's great. What is the best sports movie ever in your opinion? Oh, best sports. Um, I would have to say, okay, serious answer, miracle. Funny answer, space jam. <laughs> what is it about miracle oh my god you must be the fourth person i know i know movie. that's like a very I thought, big movie. i thought about it i know i thought about it and i'm like that's probably such a typical answer but it's so good <laughs> yeah sure i love it too if you had never gotten involved in sports broadcast journalism or let's say that you did and for whatever reason it flopped miserably what do you think you may have went on to do with your life so this answer is going to sound really out of left field but um and it's so, cause it's so different, like from what I'm doing now, long story short, I, I used to work with, um, special needs kids. I used to work at Saba where you teach them how to ice yeah, skate. And I know so I think, yeah, it's great. So I think I would have loved to go into some kind of like special education and, and help kids like that, you know, teach them. I think I'd want to be some kind of like a special education teacher. Now between being at the studio or being on the road covering games, I know you don't get a lot of time to watch TV, but do you have one or two favorite TV shows that you try to watch when you do have time? So my all-time favorite TV show is Friends. So any anytime like there's reruns or like it's on Netflix, well, it's always on Netflix, but Netflix reruns, all that stuff. That's my favorite TV show. And then I'm currently watching This Is Us, trying to get into that. So whenever I have free time, you know, try to watch that. I love that show. Second last question here, okay? If Twitter were to send you a note, and say, yo, Heather, man, you're only allowed to follow one person on Twitter. That's our new policy. <laughs> only one person, that's it. One person or maybe one handle, Twitter handle. It could be an organization, either or. But you could only have one Twitter follow. Who would it be? <laughs> so I would follow, it's this account. I think it's literally just called at puppies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would, that would be my follow. They, they post the funniest 
puppy videos, dog videos, whatever. Um, but yeah, I think it's called at puppies. That would be the account. Okay. I didn't expect that. That's cool though. <laughs> <laughs> Last question here. Okay. You could have three dinner guests, any era, dead or alive, anyone, literally anyone who you got. Okay. So the first two, I know off the bat, the second one, I got the third one. I got to think about for a second, but okay. So I mentioned, you know, I loved Roberto Clemente. I mean, I wish I was alive for that, but you know, just seeing what he could do. So Roberto Clemente, Walt Disney, and the third one, I want it to be, I want it to be a woman because there are just so many amazing women out there. Probably have to say, Hmm. You know, I, I was torn because I love Carrie Underwood. Me too. I love Carrie Underwood. You know what? I'm going to go Carrie Underwood because that was the one I said. And my boyfriend was making fun of me when I was talking about it and said, she's not interesting. And I say, nope, she is interesting. <laughs> Walt Disney, Carrie Underwood, and Roberto Clemente. That's good stuff. Good stuff. Yep. Okay, folks. Shoot Heather a follow on Twitter at H.A. Prusak. Of course, check her out on WGRZ.com and on the TV side of Channel 2. Thanks for your time, Heather. It was a lot of fun getting to know you. I'm sure a lot of fans out there feel the same way. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right, it's time for the running with Joe. I'm joined by my buddy Joe from New York City. He's Buffalo Wins on Twitter. Don't feel like talking about the Buffalo Bills, at least not at the top. I do want to say, however, we're taping this one day before it airs, and bam, right off the bat, got some breaking news for you. Justin Timberlake, who just on Wednesday night in the town that you live in, New York City, had to cancel his concert at MSG because of bruised vocal cords. It's just been announced that his show that was scheduled for Sunday in Buffalo is also being postponed. Now, Justin won't be singing Sunday in Buffalo. He won't be in Buffalo again until December 19th. Heartbreaking news for JT fans, especially the ones in Buffalo who were hoping to go see him on Sunday. Are you shooken up by this, bro? No, I don't. How can you not want to talk about the Bills, but you're talking about Justin Timberlake? Fuck that guy. Justin Timberlake's the man, dude. He's still the man. Dude, he sucks. He sucks. Ever since he pulled Janet's boob out at the halftime <laughs> show, he's got, he's got nothing with me anymore. He totally let her take the rap for that, and they had him back at the Super Bowl and not her. No, he, he's done. He was good back in, like, when I was a teenager and— when, when the hell was he around? Like 99 was when he came in with NSYNC, and, and yeah. then he did his own thing, and then he banged Britney for, like, a hot minute. Like, yeah, he, I don't know, whatever. I'm not a big fan of his. If there's some teeny boppers who are sad because his, his vocal cords were cracked or whatever the hell, you know, whatever. Go get your money back and, you know, donate to charity or something. Fuck him. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, you mentioned the bills. I will get to the bills, but I do want to talk about a couple of things first. Usually on this podcast, we talk bills and some other crap, and then we end with a little WWE talk. However, I actually want to hit on that at the very top of this because this was a rare Monday Night Raw was actually kind of historical right at the very top of the show. And I'm watching it with my son, who, by the way, doesn't usually watch wrestling with me, but he was grounded because his grades have been shit at school. So he's not allowed to use his phone or play any Xbox. 
So he does the next best thing, and that's watch TV. Pretty much anything except actually do his homework. Anyway, we're watching right at the top. Roman Reigns comes out. That's very common. Crowd is booing. That's even more common. I'm kind of half listening. I'm at the dining room table with my laptop working on a couple things. Goes into a spiel, but then bam. Announces that he has leukemia. That he had it for 11 years. He was in remission. Now it's back. And effective immediately, he's got to relinquish his title, which doesn't really, you know, in the grand scheme of life, means absolutely nothing. But he's got to leave the WWE, go back home to his family, try to get healthy, try to get better. Who knows how long he'll be gone for, if he'll ever be back, for that matter. I mean, bam, that, that's a pretty big bombshell to have. Five minutes into a show on a Monday night. By the way, in an era which everything gets leaked, I didn't hear, and I mean, I'm always checking the dirt sheets. I didn't hear shit about that. So that was a complete surprise and a shock. Yeah, it was crazy. I, was, uh, I wasn't watching it live. I was, uh, my parents are in town, so I was looking on Twitter, like probably about five past the hour, and I saw it all over Twitter, all over wrestling Twitter. And it was, it was just shocked to me. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't believe it, obviously. And like the first things that were like running through my head were, I felt guilty, obviously, and bad guilty. Like, you know, we've trashed Roman on this podcast. Before, Many times. I've, do, I've done, I've done it with friends for the last like three, four years that they've been, you know, putting him up, you know, been pushing him. And, you know, I felt bad for booing him. And I also felt bad because, you know, they've, they've had these start and go pushes with him where, you know, here's the coronation at WrestleMania. He beats The Undertaker. He beats Triple H. And sometimes he'll, he'll get the belt and then he'll have like a little run with it. And then he'll lose it. And then he finally, you know, slays Brock Lesnar after Brock had the title for almost two years. And he does it. And then, boom, this happens to him. And, you know, I, I just kind of felt bad because it's like, you know, they've been kind of like, yeah, you know, they've. They've done this this half-ass push with him where they want him to be the focal point of the company. And then, you know, they they get, you know, they get cold feet or whatever the case may be, like with Brock at WrestleMania this year and the at the at the uh the Saudi Arabia show back in uh you know, right after Mania, I forgot what that was called. Oh, the greatest Royal Rumble one, where we all thought he was gonna get the belt and he doesn't get it then. So now now he's kind of in limbo again, obviously, and obviously we want him to get healthy. But yeah, it was it was shocking. Like I couldn't believe it. It was just you know, you feel bad for the guy. You feel bad for that locker room. I felt bad for Seth Rollins when he came out and they, and they did the little shield fist pump and he was like in tears. Like, it was sad, man. That, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to admit this. When that happened at the end when he was walking up the ramp and they came out and did their thing and you could see Seth Rollins was fighting back tears. I got a little bit teary-eyed myself. Got me thinking, by the way. Can you think of a sports moment or two that's brought a tear to your eye before? <laughs> Scott Norwood missing a field goals one. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, that happened. Uh, in, in terms of like the, the emotion of it. Yeah. Whether it's not, good or bad, it could be a happy moment. It could be something that's really sad. Just something that you saw on TV, a retirement, a game, something that, you know, might've moved you to tears when it comes to sports and entertainment. I mean, yeah, like I said, Scott Norwood missing his field goal <laughs> made me sad. Uh, the guy was a kid at that time. Um, Gosh, recently I can't really think of too many. I can't think of like anyone who like quit like like that, like or not quit. I mean, obviously he's got leukemia, but like I can't even name athletes who have had a rare disease like that who have yeah, like gone. Doesn't have to be an illness, just something you know you watch it and, and yeah, it just no, brings... yeah. Uh, I mean, just like the Norwood kick will always be the one where he missed it and I was in tears. I remember was... when Mariano Rivera was retiring his last game at the stadium. Near the end, when he came in and he pitched, I think he might have pitched the eighth and pet it. 
and Jeter and them came to take him out of the game, and he just broke down and started crying right there. You know, that being a sad. lifelong Yankees that. fan, yeah, that definitely brought some tears to my eye. Uh, Jim Kelly retiring, that, that was a pretty sad moment as well. Yeah. Yeah, those definitely were. I mean, I, I definitely Rivera when I that was definitely sad. And I'm not really a big Yankees fan. I'm kind of ambivalent about them, but that was sad too. Now the Roman Reigns thing was only part of what made Monday Night so crazy. The very end, they have a tag team title match. God, you man, Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins. They beat Dolph Ziggler and McIntyre. They win the titles, and right at that moment, I'm sitting there, I'm watching. I'm like, all right, cool, man. They win the belts. What a fitting way. Roman Reigns is going to come out one more time. They're all going to hug, and the show's going to go off the air, you know, with them doing their their shield thing. Like, man, this is just fitting. It's perfect. Then, bam, holy shit. Dean Ambrose turns on him right after they win the belts. He he beat the shit out of Seth Rollins. Listen, heel turns happen all the time, and seeds are planted, and I think that me and you could both agree that it was a matter of time. We knew that Dean Ambrose was going to eventually turn on Seth Rollins, we saw the seeds planted for that for quite a while. But right then and there, that night, after winning the titles, to me, that may have been the greatest heel turn that I've ever seen. Most shocking for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 tough for me because, yeah, it was shocking. I mean, no one saw it. And if you're like maybe that a wrestling purist who's all like, oh, we got to make everything into an angle – you know, you probably like that, obviously, because of when it happened. But for me, I don't know, man. It was just it was just it was too surreal when you consider what happened earlier in the night. Like this should have been a night for the shield. And then when I keep right. saying like, oh, it should it should have been for them. It plays into well, good. We, we fucked you like, you know, in terms of, you know, the viewer like, oh, we shocked you by doing this t- just tonight because you're right. We knew this was coming at some point. Like we I've read that even if you weren't reading the dirt sheets or you were it's all it's been out there like ambrose is turning heel at some point but yeah it was it was completely shocking i mean when it happened i was i want that i watched live because i did flick back to to wrestling a few times uh that night that was that was insane like i don't know it took a lot of balls for them to do that because you would have thought like oh hey we're just going to make this kind of like the roman shield party or whatever the case may be and it felt that way because like oh yeah I, I totally knew there's no way they're losing. The, they're getting the belts back tonight. Like, I just knew that. Right when they announced that match and then Roman had, you know, leukemia, I'm like, okay, yeah. The, they're going to win the ch- the championships here and then they're going to have, like, you know, a swan song, like, tour or whatever the case may be with sure. them too as, like, the champs. But, yeah, it was shocking. I mean, I'm, cu- I'm, I'm super curious what's going to happen next. Like, obviously, them two are going to feud and then we'll see what happens with the title match. But, like, yeah, it was balls, but again, like I said, it was kind of again. There's the part of me that's kind of like, you know what, you should have, you should have maybe waited a little bit. But then again, my reaction of shock would not have been the same, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, man. Listen, I I thought they might win the belts, and when they did, I'm like, all right, cool. They'll have a little run. Eventually, they're gonna lose the title, and you know, it, it'll boil, emotions might boil over. And at that point, after they lose the belts. Dean Ambrose will turn. He'll blame Seth, and, and that's when he turns. They win the belt, and then he turns. I, like I said, to me, most shocking he'll turn personally that I've ever seen. Can you think off the top of your head without the benefit of doing research? Can you think of a bigger heel turn? I got two um, that are close, but I still, again, I think that's number one for me. You got to go Hogan and NWO. Like that, yeah, that, 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 that changed the game. No one ever, no one saw that. I could still recall seeing that as a 16 year old and being like, holy shit, this cannot be, uh, that one. 
and probably I would go with maybe maybe The Rock turning at like that one Survivor Series. Where they yeah, had like when he joined the corporation, that was a good. Yeah, one. like that was kind of shocking. Like I didn't see that coming. Those two, and maybe I, I throw in Bret Hart when Bret Hart became like you know anti anti American like in '97 yeah. when he did the whole Canadian thing. That was kind of shocking. But the Hogan one, the Hogan one is is that's. That's up there. Like no one saw that when he, you know, dropped the leg on Savage. No one sure. saw that. that. That changed wrestling forever. Yeah, and two, you know, big heel turns too. I remember when Randy Savage turned on Hulk Hogan. That was big. Although everyone saw that coming for quite a while. Ditto when Kevin Owens turned on Chris Jericho. I think that's something that we all knew what was going to happen. It was just a matter of when. And then even maybe Shawn Michaels when he super kicked Marty Jannetty. That was. I mean, mm-hmm. they weren't main stars at the time, but that was, you know, that was a pretty big turn as hell. Yeah. But that's just the point. Like, I, I can't believe it's rare when wrestling shocks me anymore. And I got shocked. Yeah. Tw- I mean, one of it's a real life thing, but to get shocked twice in one night, that's a pretty big show, man. Yeah, it, it, it was crazy. Like, and, and I can't, I'm excited to see where Ambrose goes because Ambrose is not, he hasn't been a heel on his own since he's been with the company. And the Shield's been around, you know, for, I think, what, like five years now. So this is his first time as a full-fledged heel and he's he's always had the makings of like a, he's he's had that heel look for a while like sure. he's crazy he's like brian pillman crazy and I, I i'm i'm looking forward to see how crazy he'll be he'll be right now brian pillman's a great comparison i actually never thought of that good one all right so we've indulged ourselves with a little bit of wrestling talk let's change the subject here i actually want to talk about chad kelly and this this is just a guy who cannot stay out of trouble He's, and this is going back pretty much his entire life. Kid's been thrown off his high school team, thrown off his college team. Now he's been cut by the Denver Broncos, all because of disciplinary stuff. I'll tell you, Joe, man, when he was in high school at St. Joe's, I covered him. He played football and basketball. I covered both sports. I probably interviewed the kid 15 times, maybe more. And, I, you know, I've always rooted for him, but you always got the sense. It's just a kid with a really bad attitude problem. When things didn't go his way, which weren't often because he is a very good athlete and always has been. But when things didn't go his way on the field or on the basketball court, his attitude was just terrible. It was awful. And you just got a sense that, you know, he's just trouble waiting to happen. And unfortunately, it's pretty much been what he's proved over time and time again throughout his life. Now he gets in the NFL. He wins the number two quarterback job, goes to a party thrown by one of his teammates, is unruly there, gets thrown out. Gets in a fight with a security guard on his way out, ends up completely incoherent at a stranger's house, gets chased out of there, gets arrested, and now he's cut. I mean, what do you make of all this shit that goes on with Chad Kelly? Just can't avoid trouble, man. He's a knucklehead. I, I've never, I mean, look, he got kicked off his high school team, his college team, and, and his NFL team. I don't even know how this guy is even like, on the radar at this point. And I, I've never, I've never been fixated about him. And like, I, it's, it's more or less like, I'm going to be careful with my wording here, but sometimes I, I feel like the Kellys can get a little bit too thrown, shoved in my face a little bit too much where it's like, okay, I, I get what, like, Oh, this is what this player's, this is what Jim Kelly said, or his wife said, or anything like that. And again, I love them. I'm, I'm happy in terms of what they've done for my, for the bills, my childhood, all that sort of stuff. But sometimes at a, at a point you're like, okay, I can, I can live without having to hear about them, you know? And he's in that, he's in that world. I don't, he's just a knucklehead. I don't know why he is like this. You know, maybe I don't, I don't know. He's just, he's just obviously a knucklehead. And it's, it's, it's kind of embarrassing that a guy like him 
gets like three, four chances to be on a football at this football stage and someone like Colin Kaepernick doesn't. Yeah, man. I mean, listen, the guy needs some rehab. He needs some help. From my dealings with him and just knowing him even a little bit, his problem always seems to have been he just doesn't have the ability to take a bad situation and nip it at the bud, stop a bad situation from getting worse. It seems like that's always been his downfall, his temper. It's just probably out of hand at this point. And again, that's just from my limited dealings with him and from a lot of people that I've talked to. The guy needs help, man. By the way, sure enough, this happens on a Tuesday night, the party where this incident happens. By Wednesday morning, the guy's getting cut from the Broncos. John Elway cuts him. And as you would completely expect, radio callers on WGR Wednesday afternoon are calling in floods. Well, maybe not floods, but plenty of them are saying, sign Chad Kelly, Buffalo. Bring him home. Let him stay with Uncle Jim. Let him be with family. That's where he'll be right. Completely forgetting about all the trouble the kids got into when he lived here in Buffalo. But anyway, you take the Bills, awful quarterback situation. Chad Kelly, arm talent wise, maybe better than Peterman, certainly better than Derek Anderson. So fans are already calling, suggesting that the Bills sign Chad Kelly, neglecting all the problems he has. And the fact that at this point, if this guy doesn't get some help, he's going to end up hurting somebody or seeing himself get hurt. Know what I mean? Yeah, I mean that's it's it's going back to even his draft, like when he was drafted, uh, whatever it was last year. There was those rumblings of like, give the kid a, a chance here, come here, and you know maybe maybe it will help that he's closer to his family instead of in Denver, which I could kind of see that maybe. I mean, like throw him in Jim Kelly's you know basement and make sure he doesn't fuck around. But yeah, like I said, I've never I've I don't I've never been obsessed with him. I've kind of been like, okay, yeah, great, he's he's just, he seems like a knucklehead. Uh, I don't. I don't really know how good he could have been. Like, I don't follow college sports that well. Well, let me let me ask like, you this. Like you did. Go let, ahead. let me ask you this. Okay, let, I, I'm obviously talking emotionally here because, like I said, I know Chad Kelly. I've spoken with him many times in high school and beyond high school. And there's family ties that I don't really want to get into for the purpose of this podcast. It doesn't really serve any real purpose. Let's just say I know a lot about the kid. Okay, a lot of talent, but a lot of you know his mind just ain't right. But let me remove the emotional aspect from this. And let's just say for, for a football purpose, okay, he does have Buffalo ties, quite obviously. You know, Uncle Jim, the Kelly family, and he obviously has some talent. I mean, Paxton Lynch ain't shit, but he did beat him out. He's a former first-round pick. Chad Kelly beat him out in Denver. He was the second-string quarterback, man. He's won Case Keenum turned ankle away from being the starting quarterback in Denver, or he was anyway. Now the guy's gone. Would you think that if anyone could get him right, it would be here in Buffalo staying with the Kelly family that mentally, maybe that's his best chance to get right. And if it is purely from a football standpoint, is it really asinine for perhaps maybe the Buffalo bills bring him in and give him a look? Or do you think it's just asinine? Do do you think it's just so far fetched right now? It's so far fetched. Come on, dude. Our our fucking coach talks all day about c- culture and this, that, or the other thing. This Chad Kelly is not a cultured guy. He's a Very true. He, yeah, he's he's messing up left and right. Yeah, like I said, like maybe like you know, hey, he's close to family. That would help. Like he's like he's living in Jim Kelly's basement and like you know re- reading and they're reading Psalms or whatever the hell. You know, maybe that could help or whatever the case may be. But no, I don't want. He's not coming here. 
there's no way in hell he he's he's messed up. I mean, he's he's got to go. He's going to be going to like the XFL or or the CFL. That's where he has to go next. Because look, Denver when they took a chance on him, they took a chance on, with on him by drafting him in the seventh round. You know what I mean? And yeah, he beat Paxton Lynch, but Paxton Lynch sucks and he's out of a job right now. So it's not like he beat Joe Montana for the backup job over here. So I, I think he's he's done in the NFL. No one's going to give him a shot. He's got to go to the CFL. XFL or or the Bill Polian League next year, which yeah, you never know. Maybe he'll go there. Freaking Bill Polians is freaking you know boys with the Kellys. Maybe he'll go there. But yeah, he's you know he's a knucklehead. He needs to go to AA or rehab. He needs to go somewhere where he needs to get some alcohol help or drug help, all that sort of stuff. He needs to go there first. And I don't want him, you know, I don't want my team touching him. And again, I don't really know that much about him as a football player. Whether if he was straight, would he have been like a first round pick? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know that, like, you know, if, if that was the case. Like, he, every time I heard about this guy, he was always getting in trouble. That's that. I mean, get, get kicked off of teams all the time. It's true. Sadly, that is true. Okay, so as we start to wind down here, you brought up something to me. I had to listen to it. But Adam Benini was on the Bucky and Sully show on 1270 The Fan earlier this week. Adam was on, and he alluded to a, a potential strain between Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. And Benini also, he pretty much went all in on Sean McDermott at his presser on Monday over Sean's, I mean, let's be frank here, mismanaging the shit out of the Buffalo Bills quarterback situation pretty much over the past year or so. It was a really good segment, a really good interview with Adam. I I highly suggest that any Buffalo sports fan goes and listens to it again. It was on the Bucky and Sully show. What's your take on all that? Well, I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't be that shocking. And just to, to kind of add to it, about a month or so ago, The Athletic had a piece with Tim Graham and Matthew Fairburn. And Graham also, it was kind of like a joint, it was like a joint piece where they both were going back and forth on it. And Graham also had it that they have had some infighting between the two of them. So that's two guys who on the Bills beat respected that have had, there's some there's some issues there. It, it shouldn't be shocking. Right. I mean, it's the Bills... You know how leaks leak the week leaks get started, and I remember last year, like around this time, everyone was kind of like, th- there were some people who were fawning all over how the Bills were controlling leaks. Like it wasn't like Russ, it wasn't like Doug Whaley calling, you know, uh, Jason Lockenfora or whoever, whatever the case may be, with all these leaks were happening before. Leaks happen when shit goes bad. That's when leaks start happening. No matter how tight your organization is, you know, that's when it goes down. And right now, they look like. They look like fools right now. I mean, what they've done with the quarterback situation from Peterman to Anderson to, you know, all of these guys. We talked about this last year, how nuts it's been, you know, that that they've mishandled the quarterback situation. And we, to this day, I still do not get their little power structure, whether it's McDermott being the czar and Brandon and, you know, Brandon Bean reports to him or if it's a dual partnership or if it's like the Pagulas, like them reporting to them. Like, it's completely messed up. And when it's messed up like this, and you haven't been there from day one, like Brandon Bean has, you're going to start, like, acting like, what the hell is going on here? And there's obviously been some weirdness with the quarterback situation with, like, them waiting on Derek Anderson to sign him. You know, why did they wait so long? Why did they go with Peterman? And there's probably people, like, maybe Brandon Bean's like, fuck, I didn't want Nathan Peterman on this roster. I didn't draft him. But Coach fucking McDermott was like, oh, we got to get him on here. He's good, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, these this things these things happen, man. When, le- when, when shit goes down and you look stupid, and right now the Bills, 
I cannot recall, man, in the in the 18 years of them being, you know, what they are, you know, in terms of like the drought, blah, blah, blah. The Bills have always been kind of this team that no one outside of Buffalo cares about. Even when they're bad, like Cleveland gets the, the attention for being bad. You know what I mean? From like ESPN sure. and national people. In the last like two, three months or back even to the draft. No one has the national people have all been laughing at the Bills. They they laugh at them with the tie like going back to even last year with like going from Tyrod, you know, to Peterman, you know, giving up a bunch of picks for Josh Allen, who a lot of people didn't like. This training, you know, the first game against Baltimore, you know, with uh with Peterman starting and being terrible. Then like bringing Derek Anderson and Peterman throwing the pick six against Houston. They have been a laughing stock. I mean, they are being you. If you're one of those people who obsess about, oh man, the national media, they don't care about us. They don't talk about us. You must be look. Be careful what you wish for because they are talking about us now, and it's not in a good way. And I think when that starts, when that shit starts popping off, you're gonna have GMs or coaches or scouts who are gonna start talking shit behind people's backs and being like, yeah, you know. This is this is this looks bad. And again, I don't know if it, when when Benini says strained, like I don't know if they're like not talking to each other or it's it's reached the levels of Doug Whaley versus Doug Marone kind of thing. But you know, it looks bad right now, man. I mean, this is not. It looks it, this is going to get worse as it, as it feels right now. I mean, Derek Anderson was horrible on Monday and on, on Sunday against the Colts. We got the Patriots coming to town on Monday night. They're gonna. Fucking annihilate us! I'm already picking them, sixty-one to nothing right now on this. Free, they're losing sixty-one nothing. I'm calling that. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's probably not going to be pretty. You know, bottom line, Sean McDermott has mismanaged this quarterback position to the point where I it's just turned off so many fans. This is going back to last year when he benched Tyrod Taylor for Peterman. That was a disaster. Um. You know, Peterman starting week one this year, although to be fair, he did have the best camp of the three quarterbacks, but he trades A.J. McCarron, or at least he had something to do with it. How much he pulled that trigger and how much Bean did and how much of a collaborative effort it was, we don't know that. But his fingerprints are on it. That we do know. They should not have traded A.J. McCarron. They should have had a veteran quarterback on this roster, given the fact of how raw Josh Allen is and how unproven Nate Peterman was, frankly, going into this season. How do you not have a third, keep a third quarterback and have it be a veteran on the on the roster in case something happens, which literally has happened this year. Allen was not good. And he got hurt. And Peterman stunk. He stunk, man. So you, you trade A.J. McCarron? Why even sign him to begin with then? You know, they get Derek Anderson on the team, but they got him far too long ago. He should have been on this team the whole time or maybe Matt Moore, something like that. So, yeah, man, you know, the fans have really soured on it because of the quarterback position, because it's such an important position. You know, if you would have told me that the Bills would end a playoff drought after 17 years, I would have said, you know what, we're going to be flying high for the next one or two years. These guys got a hall pass. Be 0-16 this year if you want. Nobody's going to be managing. Nobody's going to care. But that's not the case. We're six, what, seven games in now, and fans are, are angry at this team, and they're pretty angry at McDermott, frankly. And he deserves it. Again, you can't mismanage the quarterback position like this. Now, you did mention the game Monday. <laughs> They're retiring Thurman Thomas's number. Number 34 is gone. It's going to be hung up in the rafters. I got a feeling that the Bills may be down 34 points by halftime next Monday night. Oh yeah, it's it's going to be a bloodbath, and I I th- I wonder I, I wouldn't shock me if like prior to the season when the schedule came out, 
the Bills were like, you know what? That New England game looks horrible. We need to have a gimmick for that night. Let's let's retire well, Halloween. New Jersey. Sure. You know, but Kenny you know, da- yo, Kenny Davis is leading the charge, though. That's yeah, pretty cool. Kenny Davis, yeah, I mean, Kenny Davis is a, is a good he was a good number two guy. It's funny with with I was thinking about this when I saw he, he was leading the charge. I was trying to figure out like who are the best like number two backs, you know, like I can remember. Like the Bills have had like they've always had like like, you know. Carlos Williams, Derek Holmes, or, you know, you may remember Derek Holmes back in like the late, like middle oh, yeah. of the nineties oh, sure. and, and, and Kenneth Davis. And, you know, who, and they was the thing about Kenneth Davis, which was interesting was he did not get that many carries because Thurman was the workhorse. And, you know, it, it wasn't like, you know, Carlos Williams and McCoy where Carlos Williams would get like, you know, 30% of the, of the runs or something like that. Like it was more of a balanced attack or like 60, 40, like during that Thurman era, it was always Thurman. And then, but whenever Davis went in there, Davis always he was lightning in a bottle, man. Like you, you look at the backups like between Davis and Frank Reich, man. Like those are two guys who I think in that early part of the '90s could have started for half the NFL sure. at that point. Yeah, I think he was underappreciated throughout the league, but in Buffalo, he was very much appreciated. No question about that. All right, as we do every week, it's time for your last take. We call it the finisher. What do you got? What's your finisher for the week? You know, we've done, we've, I've talked about blue collar football or blue collar narrative a few times on this podcast. I think the last time I, I talked about it might've been when we were talking about like Jerry Sullivan writing, like having that, like that, the narrative of blue collar fans and lunch bucket pal guys, all that sort of bullshit. Uh, this week, Sean McDermott was on WGR and they were talking about offense and he talked about how he wishes they could score 50 points. But being in Buffalo, you know, you have to you have to run the football and you have to be blue collar, basically insinuating that because we we live in Antarctica, allegedly, that we have to know how to run the football. I don't know what planet this narrative has come from when it comes to football. I mean, I get the blue collar like everyone thinks blue collar people live in Buffalo and it's still the, the the euphora of steel workers working, you know, gets people all hot and hot and heavy and happy, whatever. But football wise, there are numerous examples where in the cold weather you can pass and you pass a lot. Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Tom Brady's the when he came on the map, his best game, his first best game ever was when he played the Raiders in the in the in the divisional divisional series back in 2001 in that snow game where he had like over 300 yards passing. That was horrible weather right there. Aaron Rodgers, same thing in Green Bay. He is a Hall of Famer who throws the ball in December and January. They're not running down your throat with whoever their running back is, James Stark. I don't even know who the Packers running back is. Oh, it's Montgomery, the guy number 88. That's how that's how much they don't care about the running back situation. They give the running back their the number 88. Um, I went as my first ever Bills game was a playoff game in 1990 between the Bills and Dolphins. Do you remember that game, Pat? I'll remind you that game in case you have. That was a snow divisional game. I remember Ricky Williams. You remember game. Yes, Kelly Marino had almost 800 yards passing in that game. The Bills and Dolphins scored 78 points. It was a blizzard in that stadium. I was there. I was freezing my nuts off, and there wasn't a hey, we gotta we gotta run Thurman Thomas 45 times, or we gotta run Sammy Duper or Sammy Smith, who the fuck the Dolphins running back was 50 times. They passed the ball all over that field because when it's winter, guess what? Defenders slip all the freaking time when you're trying to throw the ball. 
it's harder for them to play in the elements. So I just want to like have this like lay this out to those to Sean McDermott who thinks that we have to run the football in Buffalo because it's Buffalo weather. I don't know if the Colts game from last year gave him and being like a heart attack where it was like, we need to have 15 offensive linemen on this roster because December is going to be Antarctica over here. But th- this shit needs to stop. Okay. Blue collar football does not equal a Super Bowl ring. All right, that'll do it for today. Big thank you once again to Heather Prusak from WGRC-TV Channel 2 in Buffalo. Nice to get to know her. Very talented person. Very nice person. A lot of fun. That was a good interview. I enjoyed it a lot. Thanks as well to Joe from New York City. Buffalo Wins on Twitter. Coming on and doing our segment. That's always a fun time. Coming up on Tuesday's show, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about, including the Buffalo Bills recap as they host the New England Patriots on Monday night. Not expected to be pretty, but hey, man, you never know. You never know what could happen. If you haven't done so already, please go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Hit that subscribe button. It's quick. It's easy. It's free. Literally, all you got to do is hit subscribe. Bam. New episodes automatically get sent right to your phone or to your computer. You don't have to do anything else. You can play them. You can save them. You can play them and you can delete them. If you don't want to have memory on your phone taken up, doesn't really matter. If you don't have iTunes or Apple Podcasts, you can also catch us on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are heard. You can follow me on Twitter at Tweets. Have yourself a nice, safe weekend. Sorry, Justin Timberlake fans. He will be back in December. Talk yourself off the ledge. Peace out.